This podcast is brought to you by BeatStars, the number one marketplace to buy and sell beats. In this episode, our host Damian Ritter speaks to special guest Glenn McRae on how to get your music used on Netflix. To our pro page users, don't forget to check out our opportunities and challenges on BeatStars World for a chance to work with some of the industry's best creators. If you're not a pro page member, but would like to try it out, use the code PODCAST for a 30-day free trial. And of course, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Enjoy the show. What's going on? What's going on? Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm just waiting, actually still waiting for our guest for today, uh, but I see some people starting to come in. Um, if you can type in the comment section, if you can hear me, maybe we just test some of the the audio really quick because I don't have my mic plugged up. I probably should plug it up. Just go ahead and type in the comments if you can hear me, if you can hear me okay. All right, cool. So today's going to be a dope session. I'm not sure where my guest is just yet. He has the link. I'm waiting for him. Um Today, if you guys didn't know, we're going to be joined by Glenn McRae. Uh, has a lot of experience, but spent some time at Netflix. And that's what I want to talk a lot about um, since Netflix has grown substantially over the years, um, producing their own content. So I want to talk with him about how music gets into the films and the shows that they produce um, internally. So I want to talk about that, that process um, so I'm still waiting for Glenn, uh, so I'll, I'll see him when he pops up in a second, uh, but let's see who we got up in here, Impulse, what up, Jay Florin, what up, Chaotic Beats, what up, Arnie is Art, what's going on, and I guess until he gets here, I'm happy to answer any questions, um, so I want to give you guys an update as well, so we typically drop a podcast every Monday, right now the podcast is on YouTube, but it's not yet on Spotify or any of the other platforms yet. It'll drop tomorrow. But today's episode is on DJ Payne One's YouTube channel. Uh, had a really dope discussion with Abe about some of the issues with Apple um, and the BeatStars app. So if you guys um, were wondering about that spectacle, I know Abe was tweeting about it last week. So we invited him on to talk about what was going on. Um, so definitely check out the podcast that right now is only available on uh, DJ Payne One's uh, YouTube channel, but it will be available on Spotify and everywhere else like it always is um, starting tomorrow. So it uh, looks like Glenn still hasn't popped in here, so I'm not sure what the deal is. I can also take questions. So if you guys have questions, uh, feel free to put it in the comments. Uh, see, Cloud9 Music says, what up, Dame? Just check out the po- the podcast. It was really good. Thank you, man. Thank you for the feedback. The podcast is dope. Uh, this week on the podcast, I want to tackle a couple of things. Um, Joe Budden has recently gone public with some of the issues that he's had with the Spotify deal. So I want to talk about that because I listened to the podcast. And a lot of stuff he said made a lot of sense. But, you know, just to play devil's advocate sometimes, I got to I gotta present the other side because obviously – you know, either he's not aware of or is not going to, you know, say Spotify's 
side of the story. And not that I know specifically, but there are definitely some questions that I would like answered before, you know, I can make it a judgment on whether or not his podcast is being undervalued um, or disrespected in any way. So I want to talk about that with Payne on Thursday. So we record the podcast every Thursday and then it goes live every Monday. Um, But also on Thursday, I want to talk about the power of collaboration um, for some reason. And it's not for some reason, because I know I know the reason for the most part. But it's very hard to get artists to collaborate sometimes. And I don't think people understand that the, their egos don't allow them to understand like the positive the positive um, impact of collaboration, you know, in, in this, in this industry, you know, you guys are creating, it's so important to build dope relationships and collaborate with, you know, I'm not talking about forced collaborations that don't make a lot of sense. Um, But from what I've seen, it's just been very difficult to get certain artists to collaborate. A lot of times it's just ego, but I want to talk about that and maybe address some specific situations because uh, I think that you should be collaborating at all levels. There was a gentleman that that uh, popped into our Facebook group that said, you know, in the beginning stages, it doesn't make sense to collaborate. And I just think that's ridiculous. I think that all, at all levels, it makes sense to collaborate, right? Whether you have 10 fans and you collaborate with somebody else that has 10 fans, and so now you have access to 20 fans, you know, the, the same thing works if you have 10 million fans and you work with another artist that has 10 million fans. Now you got 20 million fans. So, you know, again, I'm not talking about forcing it. Um, I'm talking about working with people that have, that are dope, that you think are dope, that you respect their craft. Uh, and you guys share a similar target audience, it should be easy and a no-brainer to work. Uh, Whether, again, you have 10 fans, no matter what level you're at, like collaboration just makes so much sense. And And it's been difficult to get artists to collaborate. I met, I remember early days funk volume before we had a lot of success, you know, maybe I think Hop was probably around, let's just say 100,000 followers or 100,000 likes on Facebook. My idea was to reach out to other artists that were around the same size and just uh, not even collaborate on music. It was just an idea to share each other's stuff on social media, right? So theoretically, if you have 10 artists with 100,000 fans, of course, there'll be some overlap. But just for the sake of the example, let's just say now you have a million fans that you get access to. So if somebody's releasing a video, you know, it could just be agreed upon to share it. Um, so very simple idea, very minimal additional work. Um, but really only had one artist respond favorably and want to do it. Um, and that's why I still, that's why I still know RA the rugged man to this day. He was the only person that responded quickly and positively to the idea. And it was super, it was such a super simple example um, but yeah, I think too often in entertainment, whether it's music or comedy or whatever, you know, I think people let their egos get the most of them and it really prevents them from doing things that can be very beneficial. So I want to talk about that. I mean, I pretty much just talked about it right now, uh, before we start this session, but, um, uh, but yeah, I want to talk about that on the next podcast. Let me, let me tap in with my email real quick and let me make sure that he, um, got my, let me see, let me see, let me see. Cause I'm not sure. Cause he emailed me 
30 minutes ago, sent him the link. Um, I'm not sure why. Okay, still not in here. All right, still, still Glenn's not here. I'm not sure what the deal is. He emailed me 30 minutes ago. Um, I emailed him the link. Uh, all right, give me one more second. I got to check my email real quick just to make sure there's no issues. I sent him my phone number. Um, oh, snap. He's not. Uh, okay, he didn't, he didn't even get my original email. Something's going on. Something going on with, with Gmail this morning? Uh, I think there might be something going on with Gmail this morning. It was still sending, so maybe he never got the link. So that's my apologies. So we're gonna get, we're set back a little bit, but we're still gonna get started. Um, once Glenn pops in here, for those people that are just jumping in uh, or maybe new to the session, so I, I typically have a guest, and I'm waiting for my guest now, which it looks like may have been my fault because it. I, I checked back in my email, still said it was sending for some reason. Um, but we're going to have Glenn McRae on, who uh, runs a company now called Sample Pack, but has also had some experience working at Netflix and music licensing. So that's really what I want to drill into today. Uh, so bear with me. I apologize for the delay. Uh, let's see, Mechanic Beats, he says, anybody got some tips on how to gain subscribers on YouTube? Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to get uh, really good advice in the comment section, but I know that Payne has done, you know, some sessions on that. So you might want to look back at some of our older sessions, um, you know, maybe look at some of Adam Ivey's resources, some of BeatStars resources. Um, 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 um. Cool. Any other questions that I can answer before? Oh, here we go. Here's Glenn. One second, y'all. Hey, what's going on, team? Glenn, what's up, man? That's my bad. I looked back at my email. I was like, this guy just emailed me. I just emailed him the link. How come he didn't get it? And it was still like sending for some reason when I looked okay. back. So, yeah. I, was over, so I, was over, I was over here yapping, thinking that, you know, maybe you had an issue or something on your end, but um, it was me. It's my fault. So I apologize. I appreciate that. No, it's all good. We're on here now. So that's all, all that matters. Indeed. Where are you tuning in from? Where, where, are, you, where are you based? I'm in Los Angeles currently. Okay, me too. I'm in the valley. All right, um, I'm, I'm near downtown. Okay, cool. And and the connection here is Abe. How do you know? How do you how do you know Abe? Uh, actually, I was thinking about that last night. Um, probably through the Ingrooves connection. We both worked at Ingrooves. I don't think we uh, crossed paths at the time, but I think early on when when BeatStars was getting off the ground, we connected and just stayed in touch. Uh, Ingrooves like. Kind of is a uh, breeding ground for entrepreneurs. Uh, Ghazi from the Empire started there and then launched Empire off to Abe from BeatStars and a lot of other cool people coming out of that uh, experience. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, well, let's jump into it. Usually with these discussions, we, we just start with some of your background. Um, you know, I, I looked at your LinkedIn profile, seen some of the stops you've made, but let, let's talk about how you got into music and just sure. kind of the stops you've made up until now. Sure. Um, yeah, I started out as a bass player and a musician in high school and then in college knew that I wanted to pursue a career in the music business. So, uh, found a great program at Loyola, New Orleans and, you know, went down there, 
basically post Katrina. And from there, um, actually, Glenn, can but, we, yeah. I, I want to talk about that real because I looked and it said you had the degrees in music industry studies. That's right. Um, I want to talk about can you say like what exactly that was, what that experience was like, and whether or not you suggest young people to get a foundation at a school like that? Sure. Um, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. I had a lot of really solid professors. Uh, George Howard, who's one of the founders of TuneCore, was there at the time. Uh, John Worthington, who's a like, music tech genius. So there was a, a lot of um, great experiences. But I would say that most of my learning, you know, even though college is important for the connections and, and for the, you know, the class studies, most of the stuff that I really got out of it was outside of school. And that was just mm-hmm. from... Um, getting involved with uh, the recording scene and, and, you know, producing local rappers and stuff like that. Um, So on one hand, I would, you know, education is so key um, for for anyone, whether you're trying to, you know, be a producer or get on the licensing and publishing side or any side of the industry. But I don't know necessarily if school makes sense anymore because it's so – it's just so expensive that, you know, for – the hundred thousand dollars you put down on tuition, you could take that type. You could take a tenth of that and invest that money into taking flights and buying people dinners and and starting your own business. Or, um, you know, you can intern without a, a college degree just from from hustling. So, uh, you know, it depends. Everyone's situation is different. Some people are more, uh, you know, some people are better at doing the school thing and and that route and other people, you know, do really well. I know plenty of people that are in the industry and, and killing it that are high school dropouts, college dropouts, and they're the ones that just kind of found a way outside of the the typical like high school, college, internship, you know, work your way up that way. Right. And the music industry studies, was it just is that just music business stuff, or did you like study the history of the music industry? Both, both. It was, it was pretty well, um, pretty broad, you know, so we took business courses from marketing and, and, you know, business management and and finance, but then we also took music versions of that. So we took music management, you know, studying how music managers operate, studying music finance, how money moves around the music industry. Um, so I had a great experience with it. Uh, but it's also, it is what you make it. You know, the people that I went to college with um, that are still killing it um, are the ones that found ways outside of classroom to, you know, find young artists to manage. You know, I went to college with uh, G-Eazy and Maddie B and that team. Like, they were starting all that stuff, you know, in, in college over 10 years ago. And then they just kept grinding and grinding and working their way up. Cool. Okay. So, so right after college, what happens? Right after college, uh, I went back, uh, to the Northeast where I'm from and, you know, tried to figure out what the next move was. I had a, a friend of my brother-in-law who, um, originally I was going to go more of like the mastering engineer route and I was going to become a mastering engineer and, and study that sort of stuff after college. Uh, that didn't work out. And I got in touch with this guy, Olivier, who was um, at the time running uh, VP Records uh, publishing company, Green Sleeves. 
and which is in the reggae world. And he was getting hired on to launch in grooves publishing division at the time. And I got hired by him as an assistant. And essentially I reached out to him through a, uh, like a, basically a cold Facebook message. And, and I knew he was French. Like I had done my research. I knew he was a French background, French American. And so I went to Google translate and said, you know, uh, I'm your new assistant. You can stop searching. And I just, you know, slid in his DMS basically and got a meeting. I had no idea what I, you know, was going to be doing or what to expect, but I knew I had to be bold to get my shot. So I took my shot and started working with him and as, as his assistant and then, uh, worked my way up at Ingrooves and essentially got into, uh, licensing and, and sync licensing that way and publishing. World. Did, did, did he say it was that, um, that approach of you doing the research and you writing something in French that got his attention? Um, did you get that confirmed? I'm sure that it, it did. Yeah. Other emails that he got, but did he confirm it? Did he say like, Hey, that was pretty. No, but knowing him that it wasn't his personality to like, like let, let on too much. He kind of kept his cards close. I mean, it's a, it's a subtle thing, but I think it's so important that, you know, if you just draw the the larger point, like, Hey, you have to stand out in these emails that you write. Cause if you're writing an email to somebody, you can only imagine that a lot of people are doing the same thing. Um, so, so how are you going to stand out when you write your email? And I think what you did doing the research, coming up with a creative idea, um, just to, just to catch his attention, I'm sure was very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to, I mean, everything is so crowded nowadays. Like I get emails all the time from people and a lot of times people approach, you know, especially if they're, when they're asking for something, they just ask instead of, you know, uh, offering something of value or finding a way to meet in the middle. Uh, it's a lot easier for me to, to work with someone or help someone out if they're bringing something to the, something to the table, even if it's uh, the research, even if it's saying, you know, I saw that you worked here and, or I saw that, you know, you have experience with this, just doing like the bare minimum and having some common sense with that sort of stuff is, is going to set you apart. Yeah, because it shows, you know, the young people that I like to work with are the ones that are problem solvers, that are super proactive, that if there is a problem, yeah, we can talk about the problem, but have you already brainstormed some some, some potential solutions? And I think doing that, showing evidence of that in an email stands out to really busy people that have a lot going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, okay, cool. So, so you're at Ingrooves. What's that experience like and how long were you there? I was there for a couple of years, um, starting around 2013 and it was a great experience. Like, uh, we were based in New York. So the majority of the company at the time, which at the time it was the, uh, the largest independent, uh, music distribution company. Um, and they were mainly based in San Francisco and Los Angeles, but our team, which was launching the publishing company inside of Ingrooves, was based in New York. Um, and it literally was myself and Olivier in a, a WeWork 
office the size of a, a walk-in closet for a few months. And then we upgraded to a little bigger closet when we brought in uh, our head of admin. And then we got a bigger office when we got, you know, the A&R team settled. Um, so it was essentially like working at a startup publishing company um, within a bigger, you know, infrastructure. And that allowed me to get my hands, you know, not only on the licensing, the publishing side, but to see how, you know, A&Rs find uh, songwriters and producers to sign for talent, how to pitch people on a, a company that wasn't known at all for, for publishing at the time. So mm-hmm. um, it was a great experience. You know, I got my hands, I was like a jack of all trades, um, you know, had to become a jack of all trades in that, in that world. Uh, so I really like kind of set a great foundation for, for what I was going to do beyond that. I think just the, just like very having an entrepreneur, cause you can have, and it sounds like this is what you had more of like an entrepreneurial experience without the risk of like your own company, like you're part of a bigger company, but it's something new. And I think that's a very good experience, especially for people that eventually want to do their own thing. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that goes back to what I was saying. I think, uh, in grooves at the time and maybe still, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think they, they fostered that type of mentality, which is why you see people like Abe and Ghazi come out of that, you know, experience working at in grooves and then, you know, launching their stuff and then being, you know, mega successful after that. Dope, dope. So why did you end up leaving and then where did you go next? Um, I left because, you know, I wanted to explore more of the licensing side in the TV film world and, you know, got a job working at A&E and and work, you know, the TV network and dealing with um, what's called rights management, which is essentially... um, instead of licensing music and uh, to TV shows, we were either a and E at the time was licensing TV shows to the, to the network. So we would um, either acquire, buy out, you know, completely, or we would license TV shows from Paramount or Lionsgate or other, you know, major studios or, um, you know, TV or film studios. And so I was involved with that and involved with, knowing um what are you know what a and e's rights were could we stream it could we play it more than two times a week could we do this with it when does when does our uh when do our rights expire so i essentially you know from from working with olivier and working at ingrooves i had a really good sense of um legal background even though i'm not a lawyer you know i kind of picked that up from the experience at Ingers and took that, you know, outside of the music industry into the broader entertainment world, uh, and kind of used, um, used the knowledge in, in a new way. Gotcha. And this was, so this wasn't just for the music that was for the, the full, whatever show you were licensing. Yeah, it was, it was, it was for, you know, your entire network for, for lifetime was my, was my project was the, the, the team that I was on and it was, yeah, it was bigger than music. But, um, and I think that's something for people in the music industry to understand is that music and the principles that are involved with music and, and the business side of music can, 
can be applied in very different, in very different ways at very different, you know, stages, not only where music touches film and music touches video games and music touches mobile apps and virtual reality projects, but beyond that. Right. Okay, cool. So then the next step after that was Netflix. The next step after that was Netflix. Yeah. We're skipping all the, all the, you know, uh, transitional periods, which is always where, you know, the, the growth happens. And <laughs> are, are there any stories from there that we should be highlighting? I don't want to miss anything good, but because I, I definitely understand that through the transition, there are, there are a lot of, you know, personal growth moments and, yeah. you know, um, what, what, what was that like? Is there anything worth, you know, pulling out that, that, that something happened or. I mean, yeah, tons of things happened, but I think the, the biggest takeaway for me personally, I think like a learning lesson for the audience too, is that uh, failure is not a setback. Failure is not something to be ashamed of. Everyone fails. Everyone gets fired. Everyone uh, loses. Even the, even the best teams, even the best players have losing games and stuff like that. So uh, that's not something to be ashamed of. And oftentimes people uh, respect you, you know, for having, you know, gone through the ringer and coming out the other side stronger. So that's sure. just something to remember. For sure. Um, so how did you land the job at Netflix? Well, uh, so I was still in New York while I was at a and and New York is really strong when it comes to like finance world a lot of lawyers in the music industry are based there a lot of the the labels are based there but my my career was taking a turn more in the uh, tv film world so when i started applying for jobs um i started applying in la as well and um you know with a couple tweaks to my resume to uh again this is you know this is this goes back to being bold and, and not being afraid of taking risks, but, uh, I started getting job opportunities in LA with people basically assuming I was already there, but I was in New York at the time. So I would fly out, do the interview. And that happened for a few different, uh, companies before, um, Netflix, a Netflix recruiter reached out to me and they, you know, knew my background and were hiring for this, uh, position on the, on the rights management side, which is what I was doing at, at A&E. But through all that experience, I was still trying to get back into the, to the music world, you know, the music film licensing world. Uh, I just kind of taken a, a detour into this like legal rights uh, world, which, which helped a lot for furthering my career. So essentially I got into the door at Netflix as a, as a contractor working uh, uh, like a six month project, um, basically analyzing contracts, reading contracts, uh, and, and picking out key terms and plugging them into a database, like really boring stuff, uh, but essential for that, for that world. Um, and then after a few months, I heard about, uh, some openings in the music licensing team and pitched myself to them, um, and got involved with, um, this thing called the music licensing or I'm sorry, the, the legal, the legal lab at Netflix, which was them essentially taking people that either were junior lawyers or non-lawyers and training them in how 
Netflix does business because now Netflix is a multi-billion dollar company and they do things in a totally different way than uh, pretty much every other major film or TV studio. Um, so they have to train people to kind of, you know, to get what they're doing because they're growing so quickly. Right. So I was involved with that. I, I was part of that program for a few months and then joined the uh, music licensing team as a, as a full-time uh, so, so what I wanted to point out from just that piece of the story is you said that you were you were doing interviews and did the so they didn't know you weren't in L.A. You just you just showed up. You just basically said they said, hey, there's an interview in L.A. And you're like, OK, cool. Like you didn't make an excuse and say, hey, I, but I'm in New York. Can you pose? No, me? no. And, and shout out to my buddy Andrew for helping me concoct that uh, that plan to, to get out here. Cause I knew, I knew LA was like the next, the next level of my career was going to happen out here. And I, and Netflix was basically the dream company to work for because, you know, they were the most innovative, they were doing all the, all the best things. But yeah, essentially, uh, you know, I can say this now, I, I wouldn't have admitted it when I was still at Netflix, but I, um, you know, claimed to be bi-coastal and then just made it happen. I took the flight out and, did the interview when I came out here, I would take some other meetings and do some sessions with artists I was working with at the time and just, you know, made it, made it happen without any excuses or, you know, reasons why I didn't think it could happen. And that's a common thread amongst probably most, if not all of our guests, they have a moment like that where they were just super proactive. They made no excuses. And then, you know, after you shot the, you know, it's just an interview. There's no guarantee you get the job. So you pay what three, four, five hundred dollars for a flight to come out. This is the level that people are going to to get the jobs that they really want. And this first job wasn't a job you really want. You just wanted to get in the door. Exactly. Right. But I, I had confidence in myself that I knew if I could get in the door on, you know, on the, in the rights angle, on this one angle, then I could pivot to the next thing. Exactly. So it's it's much easier to work from within than try to wait for that perfect, perfect, perfect job um, and dope. So I, I just hope people understand kind of what, you know, what you did and, and, and how you got this job. So the, so Netflix does things a certain way. Are you allowed to share kind of what because obviously people watching this, they're like, okay, how do I get my music into a Netflix film or how to a Netflix show? Like, are you allowed to talk about in any of that? Like how, 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 how does one get their music into Netflix properties? Yeah. I, I can't get super specific because of, uh, uh, basically an NDA I signed, but, mm-hmm. um, in general, you know, producers or songwriters want to, all right, let me rewind, rewind a second. Like yeah. I get people that hit me up on LinkedIn and various other, you know, platforms. And, and at the time, at the time when I was at Netflix and asked me how I, what TV shows I was working on and trying to pitch me music. When in reality I was, even though I was part of the music licensing team, even though I was, uh, you know, involved in, in all of that, the real people that you want to reach out to are the music supervisors and the license and the third party licensing companies or the publishing companies or labels, record labels that pitch music to 
the supervisors. The, our team wasn't, you know, involved directly with the creative side. Even though I'm very, I'm very much still a creative person outside, of, you know, outside of the nine to five at the time. But, um, you know, really, that's where the music was being, uh, you know, sent to either the music supervisors who are completely independent of, of Netflix, like they don't work at Netflix, they are hired by the director or producer of the show or film. And they go out and select the music and start the process. And then they'll hand it off to us to, to make sure all the, you know, T's are crossed and I's are dotted. Um, but those are the people that, you know, producers and songwriters and artists should really be trying to get in contact with, uh, are the supervi- music supervisors and the, the licensing companies or the publishing companies. Cause those are the ones that have the direct relationships and can plug your music. Right. Did you find that most supervisors work with a company to find the music or did any music supervisors that you were aware of, like actually interact or like try to reach out to artists or producers themselves? Or did they work primarily like with a company that, you know, they maybe gave them a brief or whatever. This is what we're looking for you know, send me some songs. Yeah. Primarily they work with, with companies and, and send out briefs of what they're looking for. And then the pub, the publishing or licensing companies or sync agents will, excuse me, will send them a playlist of, of potential uh, songs that fit that description. Um, but it depends. Like it's, it's really a relationship game. If you're, I know plenty of um, independent songwriters who make, not plenty, but I know a few handful that are making six figures. They don't have exclusive deals with uh, a licensing agent or a publishing company. They have relationships and they, and they work with a lot of different people and they're fast and reliable because the name of the game in the licensing world is speed. All the, all these things are turned around at least initially in, in a few days, you know, the, the back end paperwork can take, months and that's not the exciting sexy stuff but you know the the real hustle and the real game is in you know being super responsive um and having the relationship so if you have that combination as a independent artist you can you know make a really good living this is and this is why i'm always stressing to you guys that number one be professional um, in your communication, be quick in your communication, and be organized with all of your files, with all of the different types of files that are necessary when pitching for these placements. So, you know, the instrumental, the acapella, the clean version, like you need to be very organized because, like Glenn just said, speed is the name of the game. If you're like, if somebody's asking you for a particular version of the file or asking you for some information for somebody else that's on the song and you're fumbling and taking too long to get back to them, they're going to replace your song with the quickness. And and Glenn, have you seen that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because there's, there's options, you know, if, if their first option doesn't come through fast enough, option two gets slid in real quick. And that and that will be the quickest that you've ever lost thousands of dollars in your lifetime. Like you can you can literally lose out on a you know very big placement um, just because you don't have your shit together, and that's ridiculous. Because uh, I've I've seen it happen, um, and and it's unfortunate, but hopefully it's it's a lesson learned. Um, 
So I know, and I know we it's not exactly halfway because it started late, but I do want to let some people ask questions. Um, but I know you didn't stop at Netflix. So let's let's talk a little bit about like what you're doing now, and then we'll get into questions. But for the people watching, whether you're on Periscope or Twitch or Facebook, YouTube, wherever you're watching, um, we take questions in the comments. So if all of the other comments can kind of hold off for now and just ask if you have a question for Glenn, you put those in the comments. Um, uh, I will try. We'll try to get to as many as we can. Uh, but but let folks know what you're doing now, Glenn. Yeah. So um, so throughout all this this time I've been in the industry, I've you know maintained my my musicianship chops and my chops as a producer. So I've kind of come full circle to what started me in this industry and, you know, no time like the present, uh, especially in these like super uncertain times than to go back to, uh, what I'm passionate about, which is producing and, and discovering new talent and helping them in whatever way I can. So right now I'm, you know, I've got a few, uh, projects I'm working on production wise, uh, mentorship is a huge thing for me. So I'm mentoring, um, some new, you know, new people in the industry, some new, uh, producers and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, just seeing, taking a moment to pause and see where the industry is, is going. I think, uh, there's some gaps in the industry that I think I'd like to fill. Um, you know, one of them is that there's a, a lot of interest and need for um, hip hop in TV shows and in film and in advertisements, but there's either a lack of education or there's a lack of um, really quality sample free uh, high energy rap stuff, you know, with, with the launch of, uh, Black Panther, Straight Outta Compton, Power, Empire, all these massive shows, the entertainment industry has finally woken up to the fact that, uh, black voices and black stories and, and, um, are, people want to watch that from globally, you know, no matter if you're black or white or brown or whoever. Um, so, you know, I'm exploring starting a, a catalog, uh, aimed at that and, you know, other things. I'm, I'm just excited to, to be free of a nine to five and be able to be a music entrepreneur. Nice. Nice. Can you talk a little bit about like samples and how that can mess up opportunities? Cause that's typically the, like, cause I still control some music and that when we, when we send stuff over, that's the first thing they ask, like, does it, does any of this stuff have samples in it? You want to talk about that briefly and kind of how that, you know, as much as samples are, you know, part of the culture, they can definitely kind of throw your money off when it comes to music licensing. Yeah. Yeah. Even if the sample is cleared, even if you've paid and, and gone the proper route to clear a sample in your music for licensing, for most license licensing opportunities, um, they won't even consider it because of the time that it takes because they know, okay, not only do we have to deal with this artist and their team and the produce, the original producer or the, you know, the, the beat maker on this, but we also have to deal with this, uh, 
publishing company or label that owns the original sample. And, you know, not to shade any companies, but a lot of the companies that own uh, or companies that own the the original compositions uh, can can kind of block the shot, you know, for the artist and for the producer. So generally, licensing companies know that they know it's going to take way longer and cost them way more than they than they want to. So they're going to f- go out of their way to find a song that sounds similar to whatever the original reference track was without a sample you know find find something that's 90s sounding you know because you know that's the sound they're looking for but without a sample and uh that's that gives an opportunity for producers that make that stuff make those types of records with artists and produce that sounding that you know throwback sound or whatever that's just an example without without uh samples so people that are doing that now you know i think have a huge opportunity to um to place their stuff in in sync because you know there's a need for it and there's just a growing uh audience for it right cool all right so we got some questions boof on the beat i think we might need to massage this question a little bit does he know does he know around what percentage of publishing royalties does the music supervisor's company retain for their services and is that ever negotiable so so it's not necessarily the music supervisor that's going to take a percentage i'm assuming he means the company that maybe finds the placement with the yeah. supervisor yeah I get, I get what he's trying to say so so the licensing company uh you know, this is like a classic non-answer, but it really depends. Um, there are some companies that, you know, will take uh, 50%, but they're not exclusive. And, you know, if you're, if you're starting out and you're, um, you know, a, a new artist or a newer producer to the licensing world, that might be a good deal because, you know, they may bring you a $15,000 sync opportunity. 50% of that, you're going to, you're going to split that 50, 50 with them, but you're still going to make seven racks like of something that you never would have had if you didn't do the deal in the first place. And, um, yes, it's negotiable. Everything is negotiable, but I think that especially if you're just getting into that world, don't be so about your business that you block the bag. Right. Don't be so like, oh, so-and-so told me the deal should be 20 percent. So I'm not going to do a deal until it's that rate or whatever. No, just especially when you're first getting your feet wet, like do do a shitty deal, even if it means, uh, you know, down the line you renegotiate. But if you prove yourself in that first situation that you're, again, like consistent and reliable and responsive and have good records then you can always grow from there. So, yeah. And at, and at this stage, you probably don't have much leverage, right? You don't you don't have much leverage. Um, so, and you want to build good relationships, and you want to prove that you're easy to work with. So, on your first placement, if you're being a pain in the ass for a song that they could easily replace, um, if if they want to like they like they're probably not going to put up with it and you want to build long standing relationships and you want to develop a reputation for being super easy to work with and having your shit together um 
So, you know, and then as your as your status rises as like a standalone artist, you know, maybe you have more success as a as an independent artist or maybe you get signed eventually, like you start to build a little bit more leverage and maybe you can invite those conversations. But I definitely wouldn't play hardball in the early days because that's not going to work out well for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Build up the leverage first and then try to play hardball. Indeed. Let's see. Uh Love what you've had to say during the session. What key advice would you provide to a young music entrepreneur working on their first startup? Um, Great question. Uh, Find a mentor or mentors. Find other, find successful music entrepreneurs. Reach out to them. You know, do your research. Provide some value. Don't make too big of an ask, but, but build an advisory board of people with a lot of experience to help guide you in, you know, making those early decisions when you're starting out, because they've already made the mistakes. They've already had those failures and can guide you and say, okay, you know, it was a little different back then, but this is how we did it. Maybe go this route. You know, they can really be a great sounding board for you. And I think that's, you know, key for any uh, entrepreneur to have a, a team around them. Dope, dope, dope. All right, so let's see. That's more of a comment. Um, so Scarred Beat says, actually, hold on. So it's more sampling older songs or loop sound kits. I think in terms of the. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll try to tackle that. Um, what I was referring to is more about sampling older songs, and it you know, it was more so about, um, say, you know, a, a TV show is, is being set in the nineties and they're looking for a lot of nineties music. Like, um, you know, there's a, there's a few shows that come to mind, but that's really what I'm talking about. Like those music supervisors working on those shows know that they're looking for a certain sound and know that most of those nineties hip hop songs sample like crazy. So, if you have material that kind of sounds like that stuff, but it doesn't have samples, there's a, there's a lane for you there. As far as like sound kits, samples, sample packs, sample pack samples, uh, it's going to be, it's going to depend on what they're doing. If it's a straight royalty free thing, you shouldn't have any problems because essentially once you purchase it, you have, you know, tons of flexibility about how you use that sample if it's not royalty free, then uh, you're just going to have to check. And and worst case scenario, you cut in the sample maker on the the publishing and get the bag together. Dope. Okay, I kind of want to go back to. So you said you're you're working on something to establish a catalog. I want to talk about like why there's a there's a gap that that you want to fill because I, I so. I know, I know we touched on it briefly, but essentially, like, it seems like the hip-hop music of today isn't fitting the needs of, like, bigger m- movies. Like, the, the, the trend in which hip-hop is going, they're not creating, like big, like, big songs that are, like, that resonate in movies. That's essentially what what you mean, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm seeing because, you know, the biggest... Um the biggest hip hop songs I can think of that are like killing it in, um, 
in the sync world right now is probably like this year it's been like the year of run the jewels and uh the dj shadow track and they have like the cadillac ad they've been in a whole bunch of movie trailers uh and that's not that song doesn't sound like trap doesn't sound like the baby or stuff like that you know uh it's more anthemic has bigger horns and and kind of a throwback breakbeat style to it um that's not to say that you know the the big you know trap records don't have a lane it's just that uh it can be sometimes a little too busy for for um tv syncs in the like the background right uh, you know if you another one is um i'm trying to remember leaky lee uh 47 or whatever her name is the money song money i got money right that song is super minimal but that song has been used because it's a really clear um hook it's a really clear concept so banks can use it a song about a bank heist or a song about or um, a movie or a show about uh someone hustling like the 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 concept and theme is really clear and the and the beat is minimal so it can work with uh you know, sound effects, it can work with dialogue over it. Whereas some other stuff, if it's a little too busy, people tend to stay away from that in the, in the trap, you know, in the, in the sync world when they're looking for rap or hip hop beats, but it depends. I could be, you know, there's some stuff out there that, that works, you know? And, and I mean, I, and, and I hate to bring up Kanye, but, um, but obviously in addition to Kanye being Kanye, like his music is very like big and like sound. So it's great for like, um, like previews or like intros to movies and things like that. There's not very many people that have like, you know, followed in his footsteps in terms of making the production like that. Um, so I would imagine you know, that like, you know, obviously Kanye's been very successful at getting his his stuff placed in really big films. Yeah, especially I would I would call out um, uh, Black Skinheads, uh, New Slaves, uh, a lot of stuff off of uh, Dark Twisted Fantasy, that era where he was going for this like, you know, early earlier like 90s hip-hop inspired but then take like adding a movie score to it or like Mm -hmm. uh, more like tribal uh tribal rhythms and that sort of thing minimal yeah so so for your cat and i think somebody said this in the in the comments for the catalog that that you're building is that something that you're producing yourself or are you going to be looking for collaborators and people to contribute to the catalog both both, like I'm, like I said, I'm I'm getting back in my in my producer, uh, you know, bag. But I'm a fan of talent. I'm a fan of finding dope collaborators, whether they're musicians or other beat makers or top liners or rappers or whoever. Uh, so I'm I'm open to listening to everything and, and seeing what works. Dope. And somebody just said, but Kanye sample. Kanye is Kanye. Like the the, the whole different body with that level of you know, notoriety and money involved. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kanye is Kanye. And if you have a budget for, for, you know, a Kanye, uh, record in your movie, you're fine with making it work because you want that. And you're probably going to pay, uh, you know, a hundred to 
$400,000 for uh, a sync from him. But I was more so uh, pointing out that his music and Run the Jewels and DJ Shadow, RJD2, these types of guys get referenced a lot in, um, you know, sync briefs. So basically they're, they're looking for a replacement for that because they either can't clear it or they don't have the budget for those records. Um, and I'm just, I see a lane for, for, you know, producers and artists to, to slide in there and, and take that. Nice. And is, and is for, cause I know people are, are interested in potentially being a part of this catalog. Like how will you go about your set? It's just something that you're going to do on your own, just kind of a and R in it and kind of, peeping around word of mouth hit up friends or or would there be like a website where people could submit um you know their tracks to um yeah i've got i've got my own personal website i don't have a, a site for the catalog yet but glennmccray.com um my email's on there you can reach out uh via there and send me stuff i'm like i said i'm i listen to pretty much everything that comes through my inbox even if i you know don't love it and, and listen to it for 10 seconds and pass. I'll, you know, I'll still give everything play, but yeah. Uh, always open to hearing new stuff. Uh, I have a lot of, you know, producer friends and artist friends that I'm, you know, gonna involve with this and yeah, maybe partner with, with somebody in the future. We'll see. Dope. Dope. Cool. All right. Well, I think we can go ahead and wrap it. Is there any last words of encouragement or suggestions for artists and producers today, whether it's in within, within the realm of music licensing or outside of that? Is there any last gem that you want to leave people with um, today? Yeah. Um, don't don't be afraid to be bold. History favors the bold. Uh, money. And, and the people that control money like speed, they like quickness mm. and, uh, it doesn't cost anything to research. doesn't cost anything to get really good at your craft. It doesn't cost anything to build relationships. You know, that's, that's where you can start. Indeed. Definitely. Definitely. And then how can, and you said you have a website, but how else can people find you on Instagram and what, what social media platform do you use the most personally? Uh, personally, I use Instagram the most. It's uh, at uh, Glenn underscore McCray, just how my, my name is spelled. And then um, my email is just hi at glennmccray.com. And yeah, that's how people can get a hold of me. Dope. Well, thank you very much. I think there were a lot of gems dropped in the last hour. Um, Glenn, it was very nice meeting you. Hopefully we stay in touch. If you ever need anything for us or the MEC community, or if you want to promote your catalog once it gets up and running, if you want to do anything, um, you know, through our platforms and want to get the word out, uh, just let me know. Thank you, Dame. And uh, shout out Abe for hooking this up. Indeed. All right, y'all. So on Thursday, you got a session with Payne at same time, 12 PM. Um, and then next week, I'm not even sure who my guest is. I've, forgot um so tap in thursday and listen to the podcast that did drop today on on Payne's youtube channel um and then we'll be recording another one thursday so all right everybody have a good day then glenn thank you again uh, i'll definitely be in touch peace right. peace